This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. At least 38 migrants are dead after a fire at an immigration detention center in northern Mexico. Dozens more are injured. Mexican officials are still investigating, but they believe people being held in the facility lit mattresses on fire as a form of protest when they learned they might be deported. The tragedy comes as President Biden has been working to reduce the number of people crossing into the U.S. to seek asylum. And after Republican governors bust thousands of migrants to cities like Chicago, saying that the border situation is, quote, out of control. Here to discuss the latest on migrants and asylum seekers is Gladys Molina-Alt, executive director of the Young Center for Immigrant Children's Rights. And Nicole Hallett, she's director of the Immigrants' Rights Clinic at the University of Chicago Law School. Gladys, what went through your mind when you heard the news of the fire? Devastation, Sasha. My heart sank. Um, and also this sense of anger at the policies and the fact that lead to tragedies like this in, in Mexico. We, we know there's lots of people on the streets of Mexico along the border waiting to enter the United States, be able to access the asylum process here in the U.S., and knowing that Mexico, while it receives thousands of deportees from the U.S. and expulsions because of policies in the U.S., there really isn't an infrastructure or a willingness in Mexico to provide um, housing, provide services uh, for folks. And so they're out on the streets uh, trying to earn a meal for the day. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it leads to consequences like this where they're rounded up and jailed as opposed to being supported as asylum seekers. And we'll dig more into into some of, of those policies in, in a moment, Gladys. But Nicole, your initial thoughts when you heard about this? Well, I, obviously it's, it's a tragedy and the more information that comes out about it, I think uh, the more tragic it seems. But I, I also immediately uh, turn to what I think is the true cause of this tragedy, which is almost entirely U.S. policies at the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, as well as uh, Mexican policies with respect to asylum seekers. This is not this was an avoidable tragedy. And um, and we have policies, U.S. policies and Mexican policies to blame. Why are people detained in immigration centers in the first place, Nicole? 
Well, my understanding is that um, everybody who was in the detention center that caught fire was attempting to seek asylum in the United States. It's unclear whether they had attempted to cross or whether they were in the process of trying to cross. It's very hard to seek asylum in the United States right now. It's almost impossible. And so oftentimes people need to try multiple times. uh, And even then they are often not successful. So they end up stuck on the Mexican side of the border. Uh, And then Mexican authorities in this case rounded up 68 people, mostly from Central America and from Venezuela, and detained them in this detention facility. Uh, And it it seems like the plan was to deport them back to their countries of origin. Gladys, talk more about the conditions in these kinds of of centers on either side of the U.S.-Mexico border. Jails, essentially, Sasha. That, um, they're jails, um, locked facilities, secure facilities, um, where a lot of people are processed at a time. Um, there's a lot of immigrants uh, who in, in, either in Mexico are, are rounded up um, or in the U.S. when we have um, them jailed here in the United States. Um, and the, the most simplest term I can use is jail-like mm. conditions. Um, how how long are people report- detained, typically? Well, in, 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 in the U.S., it depends on, on whether a person is going to be uh, fighting a case, uh, a withholding of removal, any type of case that uh, an immigrant um, will be fighting. That d- determines how long they may be detained. Others may ask for a bond. Uh, and, and they may be released. Others may just sign uh, a removal order and agree to be removed. Others may be uh, removed quickly uh, because of um, uh, prior immigration history or whatnot. So the times vary. It could vary from weeks to months to years in the U.S. Wow. This is not the first time that we've seen dozens of people dying while trying to come here to the U.S., More than 50 people died last year. This was after being trapped in a tractor trailer in Texas. Gladys, what does this tell us about the stakes here? It's human lives, Sasha, at the end of the day. People coming, trying to get to the U.S. and seek refuge here are dying in the jungle. They're dying on buses as countries are trying to get them from one end of their country to another. In, in the Americas so that they don't linger in their countries. Um, they're dying in the desert. They're dying in, dying in trains, dying in trucks, and dying in jails. Uh, we've, we're seeing so many tragedies because of the policies that are in place, but also just the amount of people that are not able to be in their home countries mm-hmm. safely with their families. And what this tells me is that we really need to think about solutions, and there are solutions uh, to to the issue. There is um, human mobility is a human right, and it is something that we have to start to think about solving. What are the solutions that we can put forward so that tragedies like this do not have to happen? And if we know what the conditions are and what people are going through, taking a, a human lens towards uh, responding to it. Um, from what I've read in the report, mm-hmm. I have not been to El Paso myself since this tragedy happened, um, to Ciudad Juarez since this tragedy happened, but just reflecting on a border trip that I took last um, November to the state of Tamaulipas in Matamoros, Mexico, 
I, I, you see people waking up each morning, waking up in parking lots, and they don't have shelters to go to. And they'll be on the street begging or trying to wash the windows of cars in order to uh, buy a meal for the day. And from what I understand, is some, of, some of what these immigrants were doing. And society sees them as a nuisance, as something to be rounded up and be sent to the pound, mm. like animals, to be sent to a jail. And to me, it, 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 all these tragedies are a reminder and an urgent, an urgent reminder that we have to come up with solutions to what we see yeah. happening to migrants in the Americas. So, Nicole, in the past year, thousands of migrants have arrived here in Chicago after being bussed by uh, Republican governors. Our safety net is already strained. Mayor Lightfoot has turned to opening abandoned schools to house these people. So what's the connection between what we've seen here and what is happening in Mexico? Well, I mean, Chicago is facing uh, the the same kind of problem, frankly, that that, uh, Mexico is facing, which is that this is a humanitarian crisis and there need to be resources allocated to take care of people. Instead, Uh, What both the United States and uh, Mexico is doing is spending its resources to detain people. The migrants that end up in Chicago are in many ways the lucky ones uh, because they are the ones who both got through the U.S.-Mexico border. So they were able to, um, you know, uh, claim asylum at the border and were allowed to be released into the United States, which at this point, very few people are are being allowed to do. Um, And they're free and they're not in a detention center. Um, And so, yes, it is true that um, there are migrants who are coming to Chicago. Yes, it is true that the city and the state of Illinois and the U.S. government should be allocating resources to uh, to um, allowing them to transition and um, Mm -hmm. and to have what they need to start their lives in the United States. Um, But but we are not going to solve the problem of migration by uh, shutting down the border. It, it really just um, creates more harm, more people die, and people are still coming. It's not like these policies have prevented people from coming to the border to seek asylum. Right. And just so we're clear, the, the 5,000 or so new migrants that came here to, to Chicago in the last six months or so, where are we at with processing their asylum cases? Well, the the Chicago immigration courts are are have a very long backlog. It's often taking years to get a hearing. In many cases, the cases, the asylum cases, haven't even been filed by immigration authorities in court yet. It's taking months and sometimes up to a year for those cases to even get filed. And so, most of those migrants who were able to to cross into the United States and did have the opportunity to seek asylum are in limbo here and probably will be in limbo for some time. During the pandemic, Gladys, the Trump administration stopped many asylum seekers from entering the country uh, at the time, citing COVID safety concerns. And it led to thousands of folks waiting in Mexico. Remind us of the details of that policy, Title 42. Yes, essentially it was anyone trying to come to the U.S. um, as as a migrant seeking asylum was returned uh, to Mexico and not allowed to enter the U.S. There were some exceptions that the government would entertain, but far and few um, were those exemptions granted. But essentially, it allowed the government for anybody that entered the U.S. to essentially just expel them right back in, in into Mexico. And that, that Trump-era policy is, is 
continues to be in effect uh, under the Biden administration. It is uh, set to end uh, in May. Uh, but then after that, what we're expecting is that the uh, asylum transit ban will go in some form of it will go into place. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. So, N- Nicole, being that it's it's scheduled to end on, on May 11th specifically, what impact do you think that this will have? Well, I mean, so uh, Gladys is right. Title 42 is is uh, scheduled to end May 11th. But I actually don't think that much will change at the border. And the reason for that is because, as Gladys mentioned, there is a new asylum ban um, that is scheduled to go into effect that will essentially um, have the same effect in that people will not be able to apply for asylum absent some some circumstances in which most people won't be able to qualify. Um, the, the government has, has rolled out an app and the app allows people to schedule appointments to go to the border and, and apply for asylum. My understanding from people who are working at the border is that the app is unusable and that very few people are able to get appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in some ways, even though the name of the policy is different and the legal authority under which it, it w- will be enacted is different, the practical effect will be the same. Most people who come to the U.S.-Mexico border will not be able to seek asylum. They will be stuck on the Mexican side of the border. Mm -hmm. They will be detained. They will be at risk of violence. And um, more harm is going to come to asylum seekers as a result of these policies. Yeah, the number of asylum seekers is swelling in Mexico. How do American policies affect what policies Mexico enacts, Nicole? Well, you know, Mexico is um, is is integrally involved in U.S. asylum policy because most people who come to the U.S. to seek asylum do so through Mexico. And if the United States is preventing people from seeking asylum in the United States, which is their intention, people are going to be stuck in Mexico. And then Mexico is going to have an issue that they're going to have to address. And over the course of the last several years, Mexico has tried many different uh, strategies to try to manage um, migration, and it hasn't worked. Um, In fact, as you said, the number of people moving through Mexico has only increased. Mm -hmm. Um, Both countries seem to think that if they crack down hard enough, the problem will go away. But uh, but it hasn't proven to be the case. And the reason for that is that um, most people who are coming and, and making that dangerous journey, even if they know that there's a slight chance that they'll be able to make it and apply for asylum, are still making that attempt because they are um, escaping harm and violence yeah. in their home countries. They don't have any other choice. So these policies that are trying to deter people from migrating are simply not working. Gladys, in your view, what ways could the U.S. and Mexico work together more effectively? I mean, one one way I think that the U.S. um, can work with Mexico is in finding ways to provide um, one legal services um, to folks um, along the border, so that that there is support for migrants to be able to. for example, the app that Nicole was talking about, be able to resolve issues around that so folks can get exemptions uh, as needed. For example, right now, the Title 42 is, is, is in place. 
but also to acknowledge the human rights of uh, people on the move. Um, it, it is unacceptable, I think, for to watch a situation where Mexican government officials walk away from a jail while it's burning up in, 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 in flames. Mm-hmm. And, um, and being able to also provide services for folks and security for folks along the border, because part of why people keep coming to the U.S. is because in Mexico they find no security. Uh, the U.S. may say, okay, you're supposed to apply for asylum in Mexico if you're traveling through there, but when there is no there is no sense of security for migrants, that simply isn't going to be a viable option for immigrants. They're going to keep trying to make it to the U.S., and in that attempt, um, we, human lives are lost. Well, you know, Nicole, the, the crisis at the southern border is happening as tens of thousands of Afghan refugees are waiting on Congress to pass the Afghan Adjustment Act that would actually grant them legal status. What's the latest there? Well, there was a push to pass that act at the end of, of the last Congress. It failed. It was it was blocked. Uh, and so there are they are still in limbo. There is um, there is continued advocacy around that issue. But I think that the fact that we allowed um, tens of thousands of Afghans to come in the country with no plan for how we were going to um, legalize their status and, and allow them to gain permanent status is just indicative of the larger problems in our immigration system. It's a system that hasn't really been amended much in the last 30 years. It's buckling under its own weight Um, It's inefficient, ineffective, and cruel. And attempts to reform the system have failed in Congress repeatedly. Um, And so we're really at a crossroads here. The the southern border is where a lot of the attention is. But actually, there are problems like at the southern border throughout the entire immigration system. It has to be a priority to reform the system so that it is, yes, orderly, but also humane. And it is neither at this point. We've been speaking with Gladys Molina-Alt from the Young Center for Immigrant Children's Rights and Nicole Hallett from UChicago's Immigrants' Rights Clinic. Thank you both for joining us. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic and edited by Dan Tucker and Micah Yason. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating or review. It really helps. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.